0: Our central work. All techniques, all practices and traditions, though useful, even extremely useful at times, are just approaches to the problem of our core belief and our impulsive basic strategy for handling it. Our central work is to shift very slowly, usually over a lifetime from a self-centered view of things to a life-centered view of things. And I don't mean to shift from self-centered to other-centered, That's just an alternative
1: strategy. Mm. For a young child, the core belief can save their sanity or even their life. It has served us well, but it persists long past its usefulness. We grip it tightly because we feel, not knowing any better, that doing so will save us. If you have a core belief, for example, that you're no good, you'll grip onto that because it's rapidly covered by the thought, I'm going to do everything so well that people will think I'm wonderful. The core belief and the basic strategy reinforce each other's necessity. We are, we all are caught in that kind of maneuvering, trying to... Next page.
2: Trying to outsmart.
1: I, I don't have a, okay. Next page. Yeah, can you
0: turn the page? I did. No, you didn't. The page has not changed. No? Nope.
2: Hmm. I see the new page. I'm gonna stop sharing and share.
0: Are you sharing your whole screen or just the uh, application?
2: No, I'm sharing the application.
0: Share the whole screen. Or I recommend that because that is a thing that frequently happens in my
2: I think what what happened was I moved it from one monitor to the other you see it now. Yes. Yeah. Um, Also, I want to say that. um, When we finish this chapter. uh, Ellen asked Peg the couple of questions we had, which were like, is there one core belief and something else and peg wrote a page and a half or two two and a half pages answer so i thought we could read that it's really good okay
1: yeah that's great okay outsmart our core belief that's all we've ever known and because that's all we've ever known our core belief is very precious to us it's scary to move out of that tight rigid way
3: of living But our core belief not only isn't appropriate as we grow up, it's also actually harming us. Being self-centered is poisonous both to ourselves and to those who have the good or bad fortune to meet us. The shift from that self-centered poisonous point of view to a life-centered point of view develops almost infinitesimally over a lifetime. It might not ever happen because our need to hold on onto our self-centered point of view is so very strong. The nature of our self-centeredness means we really don't want to do any, work, any of this work. We just want to find a way out of the pain. That's okay. If you did nothing all your life except to label your thoughts and try to get back to your actual experience you would have a solid meditation practice. Because it's hard to maintain any practice, our mind tells us that we're bored with it to cover up the fear of having to really experience the pain of our core belief.
4: True self, no self. We all have two ways of perceiving. We have our core belief self and we have our true self. The core belief self is saying, Life has been so hard on me that I need to have these false assumptions about myself. Resentment, anger, and all sorts of emotions are tied up in that position.
5: Sometimes our behavior comes out of fancier core belief systems, compound core belief beliefs like "You can't make me." <clears throat> that sounds familiar. I can't do it anyway, and I'm helpless. Our work isn't easy. Is there anyone who thinks it's easy? Not if you see what practice really is. I'm not trying to make it seem like doom and gloom. The doom and gloom come when you don't practice, and that's the sad thing. Actually, a doom and gloom steadily subsides over the years of practice.
2: As I talk about the core belief self and the true self, I don't mean that you have one self that's going to shift somewhere over to another self. It's all one self. But as your core belief gradually weakens, you will see differently, including (coughs) seeing yourself differently. Our core belief causes us to see life as such a limited sphere, as if we have blinders on. I suspect that we uh, we don't get rid of it, but we can tell it to kind of shut up. That it is that the take that you guys have.
5: I'm not hearing maybe, from anyone, maybe, 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 uh, loosen our grip a little bit. OK, that's nicer.
2: Uh. Our core belief causes us to see life as, as such a limited sphere as if we have blinders on. We take this tiny sphere as the solidity of, solidity of life and we cling to it. The shift is to see that it's not solid and that the sphere is just a minuscule part of a much larger whole. Our core belief <coughs> has us seen a tiny piece of something as everything because our emotions say, It is everything. With practice, our world opens to the wonder of experiencing that this thing we thought of as ourself is just a tiny part of everything we see.
6: Buddhist terms, the Buddhist term for this experience is usually no self. No self doesn't mean you evaporate, it simply means that yourself at any moment. Is devoted to that which is appearing, the endless life that shows up second by second by second. No self is neither wonderful nor terrible. We just hear at each second. We create space and time, but life is just happening.
7: The true self, this no self, is incapable of judgment. It can't think about something as being good or bad. It's outside of space and time. And if there's no duration, there's no quote unit that can judge. No self is just moving, you might say.
0: People often come to Zen because they're looking for the true self but you can't look for the true self. It's nothing, there's nothing to find. What you can do is to constantly work with the conditioned self, the one whose lens is the core belief. Because the conditioned self looks at everything through the distorted lens of the core belief, we can never see the world as it is.
1: We don't have to get rid of the core belief. That might be too hard, but we have to see through it. In this way, what is hard, thick, and fixed slowly becomes transparent and we begin to see that it's just nothing at all. None of us can do this completely. One great Zen master says that we all keep a tiny bit of self-belief because it is what connects us to being human.
3: To truly feel when we're humiliated, hurt, taken advantage of, or whatever it is that's shaking our core We don't really want to do that. I don't, but I can do it. I don't always get to to it in two seconds. Sometimes it takes a while. You can do it too. And you have a responsibility to do it. Not because a teacher says so, but because your true self says so. The
4: mind is not an orphan you need to understand precisely what your practice is about and your mind is a wonderful tool for that the mind is not an orphan the well used mind is a tremendous servant even still in a given moment we may or may not be able to do this practice but we know this and we don't and if we don't do this practice we know we're not doing it. sooner or later as we keep in one way or another persisting, understanding falls into place. Our core belief temporarily lessens and we touch our true self, our no-self. Maybe not all of it, but chunks of it. Perhaps we feel for the first time some satisfaction in our life. It's not some puzzling, worrisome mystery that we can't seem to get a handle on. Our lives are no longer utter confusion.
5: To reach a place of less confusion, even briefly, is an important step because those core beliefs are not trivial. They rip up your life. I'm not just talking about your Zen practice, whatever on earth that would be. They tear you apart. If, for example, your core belief is, I never quite make it, as your life unfolds, you'll make sure you never quite make it. Instinctively, you know how to not quite make it. After all, our core belief is familiar. We have felt it our whole life. It's who we think we are. And until we sense, a, sense another option, we don't wanna budge from that. That's why practice is so difficult.
2: But with continuity of practice, really learning to employ the servant of the mind, we have more and more ability to see and experience life fully as it is, without needing or wanting it to be any different. This ability grows forever if you really practice. Also, since we are selfish in the sense of wanting our lives to be joyous, practice unveils this joy. With this growing practice, we become less di- dis- <coughs> disruptive to ourselves and to others. In fact, our lives tend to become more cooperative, more creative, and more loving.
6: I'm sorry. How do you know if you are practicing well? I find it to be the ability to be sorry, truly sorry, when you hurt someone. This also includes being sorry when we hurt ourselves, although it's more obvious when we hurt someone else. Our self-centered self isn't sorry for anything, not really. It's just one to, it just wants to escape into a place that's not threatening or painful. So it's really a hard task to stick with our practice to begin to see how little we really want to say. I'm sorry, I apologize.
7: No one is is going to thank you for practicing. No one is going to put up a medal or a trophy for you. You got to experience pain three times yesterday. Congratulations, you should get a trophy or at least a hug. But most of the work we do is in silence. You do it for you. And until you have some glimpse that you need to do it, that you hurt others if you don't do it, your work will be inconsistent. You hurt your partner, your child, your friends. That's why the growth of I'm sorry is an indication of some so- of some softening, softening in that core belief. I'm really sorry I did that. I hate to admit it, but I'm sorry.
0: Continue without thinking. The journey to a life-centered point of view continues without your thinking. Thinking won't serve it, but you can have an awareness of your core belief as you go about your practice. Whenever you're upset, you can be sure it's there. And we just patiently plow along with our sitting practice. And as we just patiently plow along with our sitting practice, it also has a way of showing itself.
1: The more you practice, the more you'll notice when your core beliefs, oh, when your core belief pops up, it's defending itself, but it loses power. I can't do it. I won't do it. I'm incapable of doing it. I'll always fail. Back.
2: How did that happen?
1: I don't know. Um, see how blind that is? It's never true. All that stuff is never, never true. Who you are is absolutely positive, benevolent, kind, and careful of how you live in the world so that you don't do any more harm than necessary. We all have constant slippages and failures. That's part of it. We're not talking about some perfection. We're human. We're not going to sprout wings, I don't think.
2: Something that I was... uh experience I had um, this weekend was um, I think one of my core beliefs, if you can have more than one, is of trying to please people. And someone said they didn't like to see at Appamata the the big TV. So um, we put a screen over it. And then two and a half people said they really like seeing the big TV and seeing everyone who's Zooming in. So then I took it down, but, but I think part of the core belief there was that, um, that I'm just here to serve people and to please them, you know, and that I had no opinion of my, no right even uh, to an opinion of my own. I just needed to do what people wanted. And this was conflicting people, so it became a little more difficult. <laughs>
7: Kim, on that, along those lines, and I don't even remember enough of the words because it became embodied in a sense, the words and how you put it, but I was struggling with an issue and you and I talked about that, and you at some point said something like, you put it in the form of a question, isn't it possible that if our focus is simply this practice to serve others and put ourselves secondary, I mean, is doesn't that diminish us?
2: Yeah, oh I think she just said something like that, yeah. didn't she a few pages back? Yeah, that it that's that's the same problem It's just dealing with ourselves.
7: yeah, and
2: just serving ourselves that's doesn't work, and just serving others doesn't work.
7: so the one of the things I've had to entangle throughout my life is, the difference, and of course, as a tiny little girl, you don't even know these words exist. But as an adult, the difference between self-care and selfish, and in my family, um, my nuclear family, whenever I did something for myself that one or the other my parents thought took away from one of their needs, in, instead of them viewing it as self-care, they saw it as selfish. So, so much of my life, my core belief is that I'm not worthy of Taking care of myself, because if I do that and I'm not available to give that energy to others, then what a horrible, selfish person I am. And this practice has been lovely at focusing on self-care and also helping me try to begin to untangle. And it's it's complex sometimes, the difference, that line that we walk between selfishness, whatever that means to everyone, and self-care. And that's been a lovely part of this exploration. Anyway.
4: Thank you. Thank you.
3: you Thank The more you practice, the more you'll be aware that the core belief pops up and then pops back down.
0: Uh, it's I not. Think I just it. Just as that it perhaps once
3: seen. Wait, wait. What? No, what?
0: It's, it's two paragraphs with almost the same starting sentence. Oh, yes. Oh, okay, okay.
5: All right. You got sorry. it, Colby. You got it.
0: Okay, yeah, got
1: I'm it. sorry.
3: I'm sorry. It's, it's not as it perhaps once seen some powerful thing that constantly runs everything, it doesn't stay as long, as long when it visits. And you see it even as it's happening. It gets kind of humorous after a while.
4: My core belief is I can't do anything. That's ridiculous. I can do things. I know it's being ridiculous. So I just say, are you here again? Well, hi. And I go about my business. You don't have to believe that stuff. It's not the existence of the belief that's the problem. It's that we believe in its existence. The only way to pierce through the belief is by experientially staying with the pain that's at the base of that belief. That's our central work. And you can't do it by thinking your way through. It just doesn't work. That's why sitting is so important. It lets us experience sitting with everything that the core belief has been working so hard to keep us from feeling.
2: And I think for me, the alternative to sitting would be like to going to a noisy bar. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the vision I have in my mind, you know, where where there's no opportunity at all to reflect or to see yourself or do this stuff. talking about do do others have that experience something they can do that's so opposite of sitting
7: i have a question do you think you can't just sit in a noisy bar
0: i think there are people who can but i think it's certainly a lot harder for uh the average person
2: i think the people don't but there there's a musician john cage who wrote music in central um, station in new york you know, the busiest place in the country. So so obviously it's possible. I agree with Allison. Um, should we read Peg's thing now? Okay, I found it.
6: Yes, that's great.
2: I think you'll like this. I'm sorry that Ellen's not here. Oops. No, I, I just lost it. Here, here we go. Do you see it? Nope. No. Oh, wonder where. Uh, oh, I know how I can get to it. Now you see it. Right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's see if she's the questions are
5: at the bottom. They aren't. They're at the top. They're at the top. So so the three questions are Is there one universal core belief or many? Can one person have more than one core belief? We know uh those are the two questions, yeah. The same
2: okay. question. so whose turn is it to read There's many paragraphs.
5: I think it's mine. Okay. Yes. All right. Hi, Ellen. These are great <laughs> questions. I can just hear Peg's voice in my head. According to Joko's teachings, the core belief differs from person to person. Each person has their unique core belief. Such beliefs may be about themselves or about others or the world. For example, I'm broken or defective. Other people are out to get you. The world is a terrifying and horrible place. Core beliefs are the hidden internal combustion engine that drives all our conditioning. One common factor in Joko's teaching is that a core belief is invariably negative or painful. The result of childhood experiences that we understood in that way. The complete dissolution of our core belief is awakening. I do feel that there are core beliefs in people who are trauma-free and psychologically healthy, such as, I am worthy of love and affection. Other people support and guide me. The world is a place of pure potential and creative energy. But because those beliefs do not create suffering for ourselves and others, there would be no need to resolve them in practice. Simply knowing about them is what is generally useful. Such positive core beliefs can even make it difficult for someone to truly comprehend the depth of suffering, suffering caused by others' negative core beliefs. Wait,
6: so based on what we read last week, uh, core, belief, uh, core beliefs are on negative. But here seems like Pax said that there are two types of cause belief uh core belief, right? Positive and negative.
2: Yeah, but it seems she's saying also that even the positive ones are a problem. No, no. Well, is that what she said? Or or can be a problem. Yeah.
0: They can make it at least harder to understand why someone else's core belief would cause them suffering.
5: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: To me, it's kind of like the problem of being on autopilot—that you're not in this moment, you're not, you're not responding to what exactly what's in front of you, because you you have such you know we call it baggage, right? You've come to the situation believing something, so you're not able to see it clearly. Like if I believe that, um, in fact, it happened in um in school if you painted a landscape um you weren't a serious painter you had to be an abstract painter and they kicked one girl out of painting and sent her to art education because she was a landscape painter i mean that was just so the core belief was you can't be a landscape painter and be a serious painter um, I, just,
7: I just want to, hmm. along with this, and thank you, Kim, no, I, I just want to say something. and I don't know why this always, and I'm going to use the word triggers me <laughs> T- to talk about things as positive and negative mm-hmm. is is sort of like, no, 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 that's not good. <laughs> they're not positive or negative. Everything comes with a potential bright sh- side and a potential shadow side. And so even for some people not for all i understand that even great traumas create great epiphanies and um, practices in life
2: and may, okay. maybe even the words light, light and shadow
7: exactly ha-
2: have a connotation you know of good and bad right. like maybe maybe the the five side and the ten side or or the you know whatever the blue and as, side and the yellow side
7: and as i use the words for me the words "light" and "shadow." When I use them, mean when when a room is well lit, you see it all. You can see everything in the room. When a room's dark, that's what shadow means. It's a, it's a it's a blinding factor. It's a factor that keeps you from living fully.
0: But you can be blinded by light as well. Like, haven't you ever been driving in like this? Like you head east at sunrise and like
5: ah, see, like, now I you're talking-
0: like my my ex husband literally almost. Hit somebody like who went out in the crosswalk because he couldn't see him. He was so blinded by the sun.
7: So, Allison, don't make me digress into into law. But I love the word penumbra from the Roe v. Wade decision mm. because what you're talking about is that even light and and shadow have this. It's a penumbra sort of the the, the edge of the edge of the edge of the edge <laughs> on a right we have or whatever. And what you're talking about is yeah, even. Even light sides have their edges. I that's how I see life. Even shadow sides have their edges that cause uh, more practice.
5: I I regret that I need to log off, but I uh, look forward to seeing y'all on Monday.
7: Okay.
3: Okay, Thank and I'll guys. I'll
5: send you Glenn the 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 uh, Peg's letter. Oh, I have it. I have it. Oh, okay. Yep. All right, thank y'all. Have Thanks. a good week. Okay.
6: Yeah. Thank, thank you. y'all.
5: Amanda, it was nice to have met you so Likewise,
6: much. thank you.
2: That said, uh, is it my turn? I think so.
6: Oh, sorry. Uh, Julie, can you look on page 28? Here, um, Yoko, this Kabbalah pra- core um, belief. She said that something wrong cultivates into something negative which I call the core belief. So then when you think the world is a place of pure potential and creative energy, that considers something wrong.
2: Is that a question?
6: Yes, <laughs>
2: it's a question.
6: <laughs> no, because I'm kind of like wonder because um, based on what I read on Yoko, like I think that core belief is something wrong that we think about ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. But seems like here, Peg's response doesn't seem like that is the only thing considered think, as core belief. But I think Peg is also coming at it at a slightly
0: like a slightly different angle, and I, you know, like people mm-hmm. can have their own interpretations of things.
2: <laughs> and she actually talks about that later in the letter, which is neat. Oh,
0: okay. About the
2: different okay. views that different people have, just what Allison's saying. All
0: right.
2: Yeah. Is it is it my turn to read? Yes. That said, my own sense is that two models get us a bit closer to understanding the concept of core beliefs, spiral dynamics and IFS. From spiral dynamics, we understand how a person's view of themselves and the world is part of inhabiting what Graves called levels of existence, consisting of inner, bio, psychophysical capacities, potential, and life circumstances. Their understanding is shaped by that level. And there may be and often is a mismatch between their internal capacities and external life circumstances they find themselves in. And one of the things Spiral Dynamics talks about is how impossible, Shelly's probably going to say this, how impossible it is to talk to someone who's coming from a different place. For example a person whose thinking is characterized by the so-called blue level believes in binary absolutes good evil right wrong in group out group like my uh my daughter-in-law believes that it's never okay to steal no matter what the situation is you absolutely would not do it your kids are starving you don't steal that loaf of bread You know, and other people would be more situational, right? And they, okay. For example, a person whose thinking is characterized by a so-called blue level, believes in binary absolutes, good, evil, right, wrong, in-group, out-group. And I don't know that we'll ever, my daughter and I will ever see eye to eye on that because we're at different places. In our complex society with diverse values, global crisis and complex technological environments, such thinking is a mismatch for the life circumstances we are in. The belief in original sin and eternal damnation for sinners is a core belief from this level of thinking. Such core beliefs are at odds with a society that is inclusive, accepting, diverse, and open. This causes dissidence that the person has difficulty reconciling. They struggle with their righteousness, judgment, anger, fear, betrayal, and confusion.
6: In IFS um, terms, I feel that each part has its own core belief. My judgment, part, my judging part thinks that I am always failing or lazy or whatever. It believes I am deeply congen- congenitally and potentially destructive to others. My fearful part believes that the world is absolutely terrifying and that it has no resources to cope with. It assumes I am helpless and perpetually on the brink of catastrophe. My managers believe I am terribly confused and disorganized, that I can't think straight and lack judgment. And so it goes. Each part has developed in response to a particular core belief and kind of its own work around it. The Excel parts, rage, grief, terror, wounded child, and so on, just live in constant vigilance and reactivity. I don't think of them as caring beliefs, so much as ex- extreme reactivity to whatever is going on. The managers also invariably believe that the excels are a danger to the whole system and to others. Managers assist to provide safety from them and for them. That is one of their core beliefs. The self, as IFS have it, we in Zen could say the non-self or Buddha heart mind to free of core beliefs. It is calm abiding like the sky, if the sky had also wisdom and compassion. I think of it as grandmother mind, or infinite infinite attention, interest, curiosity, and balanced care without expectations or judgment, neither causing harm nor being harmed by anything. This, of course, drives the managers nuts, but that's a story for another time.
7: In Haikomi, there's an understanding that our beliefs are unconscious but held or manifested in our bodies, where we carry tension, inadvertent gestures, postures, or facial expressions, vocal styles, and so on. Such manifestations can be explored as trailheads that lead us to those core beliefs we are generally unaware of. However, Hakomi does not have a method for relinquishing core beliefs. Discovery is not a remedy or resolution, neither is catharsis, the emotional expression of them.
2: So it's both a, um, they're embodied beliefs, not just things in our mind.
0: Simply being aware of our core beliefs in any event is but the first step to freedom. But knowledge is power, and our creative intelligence, as well as careful observation of our life experience, help us naturally make the next step, which is slowly releasing our attachment to the systems of conditioning that reflect them. As we do, we begin to soften the hard edges of our core beliefs, begin to recognize their appearance, and in turn become less reactive from them. We can mindfully experiment with what our lives might look like without them, and in experiencing that freedom, we begin to wake up, From there, we are able to recognize the core beliefs in others, and to create some space and freedom around them. In essence, we have nothing left to defend or protect, nothing that we need to use to drive ourselves or create our personal agenda, nothing motivating reactivity. That is where our vow begins to unfold its true power.
1: Joko knew nothing of spiritual dynamics or of IFS, but I know she would have been fascinated by them. I did introduce her to Hakomi, and she was very interested in it. Meditation is the method par excellence for illuminating those core beliefs, however you characterize them. Joko felt that labeling the thoughts was an excellent way to realize our core beliefs and gently began to challenge them. Some questions I've used for this purpose are, is that so? And how do you know that? Or where did that idea begin? Or my favorite quote from Big Lebowski, that's just your opinion, man. (laughs) That's awesome.
3: (laughs) Please remember in reading any Buddhist text, Joko or even Pali Canon, you are reading something written from the perspective of someone in a particular time, space, and body. With exception possibly for the Buddha, very very real limitations on their sphere of knowing and expressing what they know. Language both enables us and ensnares us. So it is important to be mindful that nothing in Buddhism is anything like biblical in the sense of being some absolute definitive word. Our meanings are forged through the interface of our ways of knowing and our actual life circumstances. They are invariably incomplete, provisional, impermanent and unreliable, but we still need them. We are kind kind of like someone trying to cross a river by dropping big stones ahead of our steps stones we've gathered from the riverbank someone left them there for us many years ago some are so heavy we can hardly lift them others sink without a trace below the surface now the waters are rushing fast and we need to be careful not to be carried away so it goes as Kurt Vonnegut say, wrote You can read the last probably mm-hmm. more than you were asking but this is my understanding anyway mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> i had a t- teacher who said listen to everyone and believe no one is that the same thing she was saying in this last last paragraph that you know consider the source and that what you're hearing is is their view. Go on, Anelda, you wanted to say something. Oh,
7: well, I wanted to ask if it's possible for you to email that to all of us.
2: Uh yes.
0: Thank you so much. And I, I have that uh I, I somehow got copied in on that. So
2: I think the maybe the people who were here last time or but Ellen uh, could have uh goofed. She, she sent it to some people. Donna. Cody, and Amanda, okay, and Glenn. Glenn said he had it, okay. I think this would be a good stopping point, you guys.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) And so we'll write for 10 minutes, and then we'll come back.
1: Okay, that's uh, ten minutes. We lost Cody and Kim. <laughs> Those ten minutes. Oh no! Hi, Kim. We're done. Hi, Cody. Hello. That was magical. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right. All right.
1: So, what do we, um, I guess, how do you usually do
2: this, we, we say who'd like to go first,
1: who would like to go first. <laughs> how am I doing You're
2: doing great
1: thanks uh, who would like to go who would like to go first.
3: Guess I'll get myself out of the way. Excellent. <laughs> I didn't really write about anything because a little louder. Kind of confused. I couldn't get anything out. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello. Me? Yes. Okay. I started, I couldn't come up with anything. I couldn't come up with anything. I, I I was thinking about what to write, but I just couldn't get it out. had writer's block. So what were you thinking about? Um, well when we were reading Peg's letter and um we we're talking about let's see I can't remember exactly what, what the words were but um I guess it's, it's sort of like uh like the ego and how it can uh, mess up everything. But uh, that's, that's what my thought process was. And um, I guess like how to let it go. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm confused. I think it's confusing. Uh-huh. So
1: I, I said, I think it, it is confusing, so I don't blame you. I, I am also confused.
3: <laughs>
1: it is confusing.
3: Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. So what's
2: confusing?
3: I mean, I guess just trying to put it in my own words. Uh it's, 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 it's kind of, uh, I can't really say hard to understand because there's, I, I mean, well from what I've learned so far, there's really nothing to understand. Um, I don't know, that's where I'm at. Well, you've talked a lot before about parts of yourself that drive you.
2: And sometimes yeah. not being so happy about those parts that they drive you to a place you don't want to go, and that that's seems true. to me a lot about
3: core beliefs, yeah, core beliefs that's the word I was looking for i i a lot it slipped it slipped on me like that quick um but i was I was thinking like um, it seems like core beliefs and uh you know, the practice itself can kind of be conflicting because it's hard to let those core beliefs go. Like it seems it seems almost impossible. I mean anything is possible, but it seemed like you know, the faster you let them go, I guess the faster they come back.
2: Yeah, I agree that totally. And then what's left when we let them go? there's always that fear isn't it right yeah for
7: for the ego
2: like for a woman it seems like being um extremely glamorous might be a kind of core belief that you know that that's who she is and then if she lets that go what's left or like a dumb blonde kind of you know i'm a dumb blonde so then what's left if i let that go and then for a guy, it might be, well, I'm like macho and th- that's my core belief. And then letting that go, is there anything left? Maybe, maybe I, I stepped on some toes with those examples, but.
3: <laughs> I mean, those those were great examples though. Like, um, yeah, they were, they were great because if you're, if you had a core belief for so long and you kind of, you know, keep telling yourself and telling yourself over and over again that that's who you are, then to let it go would just, you know, it be letting, like it, it seemed like letting a big part of yourself go.
1: It feels like dying actually. Yeah. I think like that's you know that whole like idea around like rebirth. And I don't mean you know like rebirth during your lifetime, you know, like the whole Phoenix thing, right? Like, I think we all go through periods where, you know, what we're done being that person, we have to evolve to the next step. And uh, it's just really funny, because I'm at a point, I'm like, 47. And I've been through a few of those iterations. And those core beliefs are like, (laughs) right down the center all the way through, it doesn't matter, like what iteration you what religion you are, whatever whatever you are doing out there, as long as those core beliefs are there, you're you're like anchored to right. that that self, yeah. So so weird.
7: interesting that in different traditions there's this same concept, and I don't know all the traditions, but I know one very well, which is the Christian tradition, at least as I practiced it. And in the Bible, Christ supposedly said, um, "You have to die to yourself." to live again and so I find that just beautiful that you find these consistent core themes in in spiritual practices and and Cody to address something I think to address something you said I remember someone said to me as I was going through therapy maybe it was the therapist maybe it was someone in group when you get to different places in life where you feel helpless and hopeless because if I'm never gonna get rid of this, what's the point of all this work, right? And I think it was the therapist and there were several, like there was another therapist in, it was a group, in the group setting, there was a a professor of sociology from U of H in the group setting. So people who had this um, therapeutic background. So someone said, You know, you don't have to get rid of something. If you tilt the axis of the earth, a nanometer, it will change everything. And you haven't really changed the entire structure of the earth. So if you tilt your core belief just a nanometer, you're gonna be on a completely different um, trajectory. Just like if you would tilt the axis of the earth. I found that amazingly, calming helpful and supportive and i think that's what she's also saying in our practice that whatever stuff is there is there but if we're aware of it oh my gosh that's the big dharmagate and then walking through it even if we take a baby step it's well worth the baby step if that's all we ever do
3: thank you thanks for that
2: So Cody, I have another question. Like in the military, do you think there's some core beliefs that would really help you to survive that you need to adopt? Like right, probably, yeah. a lot probably people in difficult childhoods need to adopt. Maybe Nelda can speak about that. You know, like do you need to adopt certain core beliefs to survive? Like, I
3: can take care of myself, uh, maybe. Tippy, yeah. I'm, I mean, as far as the military goes, I mean, that's like a big part of it, you know, is is getting that uh, core belief that uh, you're a soldier and you're a soldier 24-7, 365. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it never goes away. and And everything that falls under that, you know, that's what goes. So you got to do what you got to do to, To survive in that in that setting you know even even in war there are rules but sometimes you know you have to skirt the rules in order to survive so it's it's uh it's like one of those things where it's a judgment call but you know it, it, it all goes back down to the core beliefs that were instilled in you from you know the time you went to basic training all the way up to the point where you are at in the moment we hear about soldiers who who risk their own life to save someone else is that something that that is taught uh i don't think it's taught it's, it's more like a um why do you I've think that happens
2: it's very curious to me that it seemed to happen over and over and over again.
3: Okay. Let me, let me give you a situation that I was in personally. I was in a, a, a ammunition holding area uh, on guard one night. I actually, it was this day, uh, 2006. Um, so that's what 15 years ago to the day. Uh, I never forget this day. We were, we me and uh we would we'll pull ammo guard with, uh, we called them ammo dogs. They were attached to our platoon. I was in support support, and we had the ammo guys with us. So this guard was eight hours on, on 16 hours off. So it was kind of a break for us. Uh, Cause we worked from, I worked from like eight at night to maybe 12, one o'clock the next morning, afternoon. Um, so one night we were there and um, we're in the guard shack. We were getting ready to come home, so we we were doing some stuff in the daytime. And we went straight to guard, so we didn't get any rest. And so I'm sitting in I'm sitting in the guard shack, just kind of fighting my sleep. And next thing I hear, shh, boom! So I you know I hop up. She's sitting in the back of the uh, the guard shack, and I tell her I like grab the radio. So we run from the guard shack to the bunker. I mean, and it's pitch black outside, you can't see anything. So we're in the bunker, and next thing you know, here come another, boom. And I mean, it felt like it was right on top of us. So the first thing I did was I grabbed her and I covered her up, you know, until everything was kind of silent. And then, um, so when, you know, everything got kind of silent, I let her go. And then I look out the bunker and I see Flames, you know, so I'm, I got a fire extinguisher. I'm like, well, I'm going to try to put it out. So then I started hearing ammo cooking out, just pop, 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 up, pop, 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 you know, So I'm like, no, that's not a good idea. Uh, so I, you know, I told her, I was like, the AHA, we call the AHA for short. And I was like, the AHA is on fire. So she called it in on the radio. She was like, the AHA is on fire, the AHA is in on, on fire. And somebody came back on the radio. They were like, drop your shit, get the fuck out of here now. Drop your shit and go. So you didn't have to tell me twice. So I took yeah. off running. I mean, like dead out sprint. Uh, I mean, in boots, I, I never ran so fast, you know, in my life. And our our barracks was probably maybe a little more than a quarter mile away. And uh, I mean, it's pitch dark, you know, I'm running. Didn't know what was in front of me. I ran over a hill, a mound of dirt, came down, tumbled. Then it kept pop right back up on my feet, kept running. And then I stopped, you know, and I'm looking around and it's pitch dark. My eyes kind of adjusted to the, you know, to the dark. And I'm looking around. I don't I don't see her. So I turn back around and it's is like going off like fourth of July. Just boom, boom, stuff everywhere. So I run back in. And she's just there frozen, like just shaking, you know, frozen in fear. And so I grabbed I'm like, come on, we got to go. We got to, you know, we got to get, get out of here. So we both just, you know, hop out and take off running, you know, back to our barracks. And, and I mean, it was, it was hell for the rest of the night. Like all the ammo cooked off the big stuff cooked off for the rest of the night for like six to eight hours. And then the small stuff cooked off for like maybe three more days after that. And that was, I was you know, it was just like one of the things I didn't think about it. Like, It just kind of happened, you know, and I I think that's what a lot of soldiers do. Like, say if, you know, they got a patrol and a grenade just lands, you know, somebody tosses a grenade at them, they like, first person to see you probably jump on it, you know, to save the rest of the crew. And that's, it's not a thing you really train for. It's just kind of a, 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 a instinct, I guess you could say.
2: Do you think most people have it this instinct?
3: I I think I think a lot of people do. You know, to be honest with you, you you, you never know. You know, until you find yourself in a situation like that, though. It's, it's Would it matter a, if you really like the person or not? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Like, like me and the female, we were really, we were, you know, we were cool. We spoke, you know, but it wasn't like like something like, oh, you know, I got to save her life just to kind of get her to be my friend type. I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird to explain it. It's just, it's just like, it, I didn't even think about it. It's just like everything that happened, it just happened. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a, oh, let me do this, you know, or let me do that. It just, it just happened. It was just like split second decision-making. Uh, just, just that quick.
7: And from what you say, Cody, her instinct, her natural tendency, or her tendency, natural or otherwise, was to do something different. She froze. So that shows you that it's not necessarily um, a generalized approach, that it just really depends on that person.
3: That's, that's true. You know, I, I never looked at it like that, but, uh, you know, I... I could I could say, you know, speculate, you know, like what if, you know, maybe maybe she would have reacted different in a different situation. Who knows? But it's just like to me, you know, you you hear about these situations, you know, pretty often, you know, in the military, you know, soldiers take bullets for other soldiers or soldiers dive on a grenade. You know, that stuff really happens. And um, it's it's. It's kind of like one of them things, like in the fog of war, you know, anything happens, and like it's nothing, it's nothing you really train for. Well, I in none of my training, I, I've never, you know, been told the, like, oh, go jump in front of a bullet for this guy, or you know, do that. It, it, like I say, it's just kind of one of the things you don't want to see. One one thing they stress in the army is never leave a fallen comrade. So you'll go through, if you see somebody fall, like maybe 10, 15 meters away, you'll go through hell or high water just to make sure, you know, you you get them to the safety or, you know, you recover them any way you can and you could take a bullet or whatever, for it. it just, it just, one of them things they kind of instill in us, you know, like I say, from the very beginning, as soon as you get the basic training, that's what it is, the whole 13 weeks, I'm so you.
7: sorry you had to go through
3: that. I'm
2: so sorry. And you've probably been thinking about it today, since it's the anniversary, right?
3: Actually, I didn't. I, oh, I, sorry. <laughs> today, today is, is is a pretty good day for me because I I, I quit drinking five years ago today. So, oh, congratulations! Uh, thank you. Yeah, so I, I I thought about that. You know, I hit that milestone and. Uh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I usually think about it, but I, I didn't think about that today. That's, that's, that's funny, though.
2: Well, just one more thought about sometimes in situations I've been in, like with my wife, one of us will take one role and the other one will take the other role. So I'm imagining if you had been scared and frozen, she might have taken the role of being the one to say, hey, we got to leave. We got to get out of here. You know what I mean? Right. Like it it because both both are occurring in your head. Both thoughts. Yeah, it, this is scary yeah. and I got to get out of here. I can't be scared.
3: Yeah. It, it. I mean, it's 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 like to me, it's all about. Uh, you know, uh how fast things can change, you know, at, at, at the drop of at the drop of a thumb. Cause on our camp, we're on the fob actually. And you could see uh they used to call it Saddam International Airport, but uh they call, they changed it to Baghdad International. And, I mean you could see it from where we were and and the funny thing about it is when as it was going up, they were looking at us on national news. So we could see our camp like exploding and i mean it was like mushroom clouds and everything else like our building every every explosion the building you could just feel it moving you know and um you know it's just like man we were were like a month away from going home and uh it was just like man you know this is this is to me that's like man i gotta i gotta go and i ended up going to career after that and uh getting uh mad boy i got medically retired out after that but yeah it's not like the movies
2: yeah you've been through through a lot i know yeah how about someone else anyone else have a core belief Well, should I read mine? Yeah. My oldest grandson is a whiz. He works hard and excels at whatever he does. I asked him where he got the idea that he wanted to excel. He replied that everyone wants to excel. He replied, uh, I disagree though, realizing that his parents and brothers excel at what they do as do his classmates at his great private school. What is this core belief that everyone wants to excel? I don't think so. It seems that core beliefs hold you back, especially if you don't know what they are. I would love a teacher who believed everyone wanted to excel. That had not been my experience. He was so certain of this idea that everyone wants to excel. He was so surprised that I didn't didn't believe that. Do you guys believe that, that everyone wants to excel?
0: No, because some people clearly have the core belief that they can't excel. (laughs) I mean, if we're following (laughs) the logic of the book, it is impossible for everyone to believe that, have the core belief that they want to excel.
2: Maybe deep down, deep down, but they don't know it. I don't know. What do you think, Nancy?
6: Hmm.
2: you want to excel?
6: (laughs) I don't know. Um...
2: And you come from a culture where a lot of people where excelling is really, really important. Don't you?
6: Um, uh,
2: Among your friends and, and family?
6: Let me think more about this one. (laughs) My mind is not really working well tonight. (laughs) Sorry, I will answer it next week then.
7: (laughs) So let's talk about the word Excel. Okay. (laughs) Because that looks different in different cultures, um, different generations. Um, different gifts and talents. Um, so these days, I think I am excelling when I sit with my natural breath, not the one that I breathe and go, oh, oh that feels so good. I want to do that again, right? That's constructed breath. And I just put all of that aside so when I get this oh that feels so good I want to do it again and get that sort of attachment I go oh my gosh there's my mind engaged again connecting my emotions and my body you know so let's let's start over so that to me is excelling Um, what looked like excelling professionally as in my life was really wanting to get out of the badger hole hell of my childhood (laughs) I mean that's the bottom line it wasn't a desire to excel it was a desire to escape um and so i just i, I thank you thank you nancy for making me step back by saying you're going to think about it because that caused me to pause long enough to look at what the word excel means so thank you
2: All right. no i i've told Nelda that my dad was a lawyer but i i don't think i've told her this that He had no ambition in terms of making money. Like if someone came to him to do a divorce, he would talk them out of it, you know? And he offered his services for free for 20 years after retiring, you know? But he just loved the law so much. This was like, uh, you know, a dessert for him, especially for 20 years or more, he worked in a, a linen store because he had a family that was growing up and he didn't want to take that chance of going to the law. So when he finally got to it, it was so he was so happy. So excelling for him was uh having law cases that he could work with.
6: Huh. It's yeah. pretty cool.
3: Yeah, have uh, these... you
2: haven't said much tonight. Oh good. Donna donna
4: um Well, I don't really know very much about particularly I guess thinking about Peg's letter about the spiral, whatever and dynamics dynamics and what is that uh, internal family right. systems systems. Um, so I you know I thought well, you know these these you know thinking about okay, core beliefs, how. I've been taking uh, uh or I should taking is not the right word, been listening to Bhikkhu Bodhi's um Abhidharma lessons now. He he does them every couple of months, um another chapter. So I since that's you know a Buddhist psychology, thought, okay, how how would I try to describe core beliefs in Abhidharmic terms? And i didn't get very far but it's still an interesting thing to think about
2: <laughs> well if you make progress tell us okay Well, <laughs> there is something that drives us we all agree with that right and it's not something that maybe we're conscious of or willing to let go of
1: is it netflix <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> i haven't i still haven't decided whether i actually believe in a core belief or not i i don't know that it, um i think there's something there but i don't know that i believe it in the way that joe kobeck is describing it
2: maybe even skepticism is a core belief that i'm not going to believe things that people
0: well why should i inherently just if i believed everything people told me i don't know i'd be a mess <laughs>
2: Well, I think as you read Peg's letter, she talked about these different parts.
0: Yeah. I also like internal family systems. I worked on that in my therapist and I, that really like, it just, if other people like that framework, great. It is not a framework that resonates with me at all.
7: Oh, I love it. I know so many of my parts now.
2: (laughs) I just realized, I just realized that my, I have two monitors and my camera, I switched them around because one <laughs> kind of died before I got it to come alive again. And um, so I was on the wrong monitor. So I wasn't facing you guys. Um, but the oh, inter- when you Tim, hear just, about the... Go on.
7: I just want to make one more comment. And I know I've talked a lot tonight and I want to apologize for that. I, I just have a lot of <laughs> words tonight. But I don't want us to leave without saying how um, generous and vulnerable and in her vulnerability, being generous Peg was in describing her own core beliefs, just putting it out there, laying herself open and in a, in a loving and trusting way to share all of that with us. I'm so grateful for that. I just wanna say that.
2: Yeah, it would, be so, it would have been so easy for her to simply, like I remember one Buddhist class I was in, Donna uh, probably knew the teacher but I'm not going to say who it was, but he, whatever question he was asked, he said, well, that's a good koan to work on. You know, the fact that Pe- with these kind of okay questions, Peg went on for, you know, two pages was just so generous. And I really appreciate that. And I, I wrote her and told her that too, you know, and, th- and that we're going, we were going to read them tonight. So she didn't feel it was for nothing. Okay, I think uh, Amanda's going to tell us our time's up.
1: Yeah, uh, sure. Like, I could, I am really enjoying myself. I could just sit here all night. But alas, it is 830. So I'm going to say uh, goodbye. Is there anything anybody wants to say that has been unsaid already? Yet?
2: Well, I hope you come back. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> i'm so sorry you guys this is just not i i don't know what i'm doing but i will come back yes
2: thank oh you. good good good
1: yes yeah all right have a great evening everyone okay and
7: a good week everyone thank you yes thank you all bye thank you.